what does your future workplace look like if you're going to commit to, let's say, for instance, a 10-year term? Do you need a building which has got an ability to expand with an option or somewhere where there's some flex options available? Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode three of season nine, sponsored by Delta Q. In this episode, I'm joined by Thomas Pearson, Thomas is head of real estate commercial at JMW Solicitors LLP, who are a full-service law firm with offices in Manchester, Liverpool, and London, England. That means he brings a unique perspective this season, both as a real estate customer and also advising real estate customers and landlords. Get ready because we packed a lot into this episode. And a big high five to Thomas for saying bold numerous times over the next 20 minutes. Clearly, my subliminal marketing works. Thomas shares how JMW grew their office footprint during the pandemic. We discuss current trends in real estate and what's happening with companies who find themselves post-pandemic with too much office space. We talk about how company culture comes into play when looking at existing or new office space, how ESG has become a focus for JMW, and how workplaces will look going forward to support DEI initiatives. We hear some value bombs around office customers needing flexible options when planning ahead for real estate and, of course, the expectations for landlords to support flexibility and ESG initiatives. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. You may have seen our headline sponsor, Delta Q, just raise 8 million euros to fund their international expansion. Delta Q is the leader in reducing energy consumption and CO2 emissions in the commercial real estate sector. Later in the show, we hear from Delta Q's UK director why this is important for our industry. Further ado, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Workable Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and we are continuing our MIPM series, season nine of the Workable Podcast in Ken, France. Today, I'm joined by Thomas Pearson, who is head of real estate commercial at JMW. JMW is a law firm headquartered in Manchester with offices in Liverpool and London. Thomas has been a key player in JMW's continued expansion, having project managed the real estate and commercial department's new offices in Manchester, as well as JMW's Liverpool and London office projects, giving him a good empathy of being client-side and the demands of delivering a project on budget and to deadline. Super important. He's delivered and project managed JMW's fit-outs of over 30,000 square feet of new space for the firm's expansion over the last four years, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Thomas. Merci et bonjour. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, we got some French going on here. You speak fluent French, don't you? I, I do, yes. Yeah, I went to university in France as part of my degree. So we'll have to do some lessons afterwards. You will be my Duolingo. Okay. Yeah, sure. Happy to. <laughs> well, wow. Let's talk about your expansion, first of all. So I think it's fantastic that you know, you've got your own projects you're working on because it helps inform you when you're working with your clients, which we'll come to in a moment. But over the last four years, you guys have grown massively. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to take a slight step back. I, I joined the firm 10 years ago. And when I joined, we had one office 
and we were circa 220 people. And now, as I sit with you today, we have three offices over three cities and we have over 750 people within the firm. So we've seen a tremendous expansion. Initially, the business plan was that the office we're in, headquartered in Spinningfields in Manchester, we'd grow and hit that by 2020. But come 2015, we were already creaking at the seams a little bit. So needed to look at what our plan was and what we do for our office options. And so massive growth leading up to the pandemic, pandemic hits and coming out of the pandemic, has your, has your growth changed? Has your thinking changed? What sort of questions are you going through right now? Well, we bucked the trend in, Trump, in the pandemic. So for starters, in 2019, we opened our Liverpool and London offices. Having opened in London and taken one floor, so it's like a 4,000 square foot, we have in the last three and a half years expanded to three further floors. So really bucked the trend against the pandemic. And equally in Manchester, we took a further 7,000 square foot in 2020, so during the pandemic. Wow. And now coming out of the pandemic, looking ahead, how is your, do you have lease events coming up now? Yeah, I suppose as with any business, you've got your eye on where those lease events are. And we've got a number in the next few years. And so we've really got to weigh up across the different offices, what our options are and what the best thing is for JMW, for our staff going forward. So within our own conversations with, with customers, but also at a macro level across the industry, the trends that we're seeing as lease events come up now, based on the new ways of working, or some might say it's we've, we've always been working this way, but it's we're more attuned to it now. It looks like, the trend is, companies are leaving their old footprints behind and going into what they call flight to quality, going into assets or, or new footprints that are smarter, sometimes smaller, where they pay, might pay a little bit more, but they're saving an aggregate annually. But they're going into assets that meet certain ESG objectives, that allow them to flex up and down, that have more amenities and hospitality and service from a well-being perspective for their employees. So that's the trend that we're seeing. Are you guys following that trend? Are you guys doing something different? What sort of questions or thinking do you have? Sure. Well, we're, we're at the early stage in terms of informative of our options. And I think that's a good position to be in because you can look and see at what's happened in the market. The reality is that the pandemic, I think, has brought forward a lot of those things. ESG's got to be at the forefront. You know, it's a key decision maker. It's a driver not only in terms of where firms want to be, but also in terms of recruitment, well-being for the staff and the workplace piece. To quote the adage of the, the, the advertisements, isn't it? Sometimes it's brand new customers only. So there can be better deals to be done in terms of opportunities, place and space and rental fees sometimes from a new offering. I agree with you, though, when you look at what's available and what's coming forward on the market, and that's something we've definitely got an eye to, you've got to look at what your space looks like and how that's going to work. And the pandemic has precipitated that workplace piece and what has to date been known as flexible working. But as I understand it now, pretty much is just known as working within some of the major cities, New York, London, etc. You've got the TWT approach. So the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday approach. That's not necessarily something we do at JMW. We find that Far more of our staff want to be in the office, that interaction and osmosis, but it's something you've got to be live to. So wearing my client hat and looking at the workplace piece for JMW as a whole, it's a key decision and a driver as to where we want to be. It's fortunate that we've got those options. And so it's really working and weighing up what's available and what's coming forward and what that space would look like. Just to clarify, four and one means four days in, one day not in. Yeah, we find within our teams, across our offices, the majority of people at JMW want to be in and want to interact with their colleagues. So that makes me wonder if, if people are in you know, four days, for instance, how is your ratio of deaths to people then? 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I think it's probably more a traditional thing. Some people get surprised by this, but pretty much to date, the JMW way is everybody has their own desk. And it's assigned? Because they're personal desk, correct? Okay. Yeah. okay. I don't want to put the stereotypical law firm thoughts on this, but I do have to ask, are the senior people having like big corner offices? Is this like open plan? What sort of the layout? What does it look like? Well, that diversifies across the three cities which we have, but I'm going to say that 95% of it is open plan. So importantly, and any new project we've done since 2017, everything is open plan. There are no cellular offices. The only time you had have offices is for interaction and meeting space. In our traditional building where we started off, initially most floors had that traditional legal approach in terms of cellular offices around the outside with a pool in the middle for administrative and support staff. Those have all been taken out. And I know when we were talking earlier, you talked. You said culture is massively important. So how does culture play into your thinking about when your lease events come up in the future and you make changes, whether that means changes within your existing footprint or to a new building, how does culture play into your thinking? Culture has always been an integral part to JMW. I think it leads to our ability to attract new talents and our ability to retain talents. And so it's going to be a really important piece. It's a difficult one to piece together and work, you know, whether it's stay where you are and improve and enhance where you are in terms of the offerings in certain offices or pick somewhere new. And I think it's fair to say that there always needs to be an element of consultation and consideration and weighing up how you do that. I want to come back to ESG because that is one of the themes of this season. And we had Lizette Van Dorn on an episode mm -hmm. talking about the report that they've just released on the customer trends. And the E gets talked about a lot because it's massively important, environmental impact, climate change, making sure that you know we're reducing our carbon output. So I want to, I want to ask you that, but I also want to add in the social aspect, the impact on the communities that you guys are going in, but also what the buildings that you go into is there a consideration on the environmental side and also how the building is contributing to the local community? Because of where we are and, and, and the leases we're currently in, I'd say historically not to date because it wasn't on the agenda. It wasn't really being discussed. I'm not ashamed to say that. That's just a reality. We have within some of our offices retrofitted and put areas in akin to, for instance, what you might see in other offices, you know, your moss wall, that sort of side of it and that approach, more plants, you know, nicer environment to work in. But it's definitely going to come to the fore on any future decision, not just for us, but for any tenant taking occupational space. It's got to be really important. And you split it down into the ESG point. Yeah, you know, the E, really, really important. One to think about. One to think about in terms of our own policy and our own ESG policy and the statements we want to make as a business, we want to make for our staff. And so if we have across the piece circa 70,000 square foot of offices across three cities, that's an important decision to make on the E of where we go next. And it will be considered. On the other ones, that's got to be borne in mind as well. Manchester, where we're headquartered, has always had a really close affinity with the city, with the society and with the people there. And as a full-service practice, offering services to both businesses and to private individuals, that S side's got to come through with there and some of those elements that we work within. So we talked about the E and the S. Now the G, I asked this question both from your perspective as tenant, mm -hmm. but also as advisory to your clients. Where does the DEI elements of the G side of ESG, how does workplace support DEI initiatives, diversity, equity, inclusion? I think part of that might come down to choice of location. Practically being a very well-established firm, location might have already been pretty much predetermined in terms of what's available and what the options are. And so I think that element is going to be, I'd say in the consultation and the workplace piece. So looking at 
from if you think from the JMW perspective, what, what's the workplace going to look like going forward? You know, how do we provide for everybody, ensure full inclusion, what people need in terms of their working environments, what people need in terms of that interaction and that space and, and, and being considerate of everybody is important. So does that come into your workplace design strategy? Is that filter into the decision on the location, the asset you choose to go into, where in the city you go? I'm just curious, where do those sort of conversations happen? Yeah, good question. I, I think in terms of if you split it down in Manchester, given the footprint that we currently occupy, that might be slightly predetermined in terms of location and availability of space. And just to clarify that, what's the what's the footprint in Manchester? We're at 52,000 square foot. In London, we found a really good location. We're right near Bank yeah, within the city and works really, really, really well. The London footprint's about 14,000 square foot. You know, in both cases, those two footages I've given you, we've seen tremendous expansion. So one of the considerations, and I guess this might not come so much into the EEI question is, what does your future workplace look like if you're going to commit to, let's say, for instance, a 10-year term? Do you need a building which has got an ability to expand with an option or somewhere where there's some flex options available? So I want to pick up on that. Obviously, flex is you know, one of my favorite, yeah, yeah. favorite hashtags, but I wonder with the way the economy is so unpredictable these days. Mm. It's just like every every week we have a new crisis. How does a company like JMW think about planning 10 years ahead? How, how can you even make that sort of decision today? Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me when I joined 10 years ago where we'd be, would I have thought we had offices in other cities? Possibly. But, you know, let's take London as a case in point. So we opened London just coming up for four years ago. And we start with one floor plate, circa 4,000 square foot. And initially, day one, there's three people. Obviously, offers in and people due to land. And as I sit with you, talking with you now today, we're over nearly 15,000 square foot. So we've taken four floors within the building. So four separate projects, different design and layout on each floor to represent what we need and 165 people. So if I project and look forward in terms of where we go within the London office going forward, you know, if you had that similar growth, how do you provide for that? That's a big take up if you were to take hypothetically 25, 30,000 square foot aspirationally and thinking you're going to grow. So options, I said the word options, options and, and, and space option that way or a flex space is a good way to look at it. I remember case in point when we looked at a further floor in London, looking at our dates at that time, the other side of the road, there was a flex space, not quite operated as some of the flex spaces are now, but we looked at that and considered that, is that an option? Do, you know, do, we, do we take that while we look at where we're going and where we're going to grow? And ultimately we decided, no, no, let's do a deal. Let's you know take another floor and, and grow within where we are. It's really difficult to have a crystal ball. And, and, and I think on the flip side, because we talked about this before, didn't we, Caleb? If I move away from the client side and I look at the advisory side, it's a real difficult problem that clients have. So in that space where I see it and I have that, all of those experiences of delivery, fit out, pressures, decisions, and all those sort of sides, it allows you to switch change with your clients on the advisory piece and have that empathy and understanding of what they're going through. And I appreciate from a legal perspective, a lot of that's possibly more front-loaded at the agent discussions on that side, but with retained clients, existing clients and other ones, it's it's a good engagement piece to show that you can have that conversation and understanding and, and really see the difficult choices they're faced with. Now, I say difficult, but also all of these things are real opportunities as well. I imagine that companies today that are stuck with way too much space now, coming out of the pandemic, they don't necessarily have a four plus one or 4-1, they wish they had the option to 
get rid of that space. Obviously, there's subleasing. We've had lots of companies come to us and say, can you come in, take over 20,000 square feet, operate it as a flex space? We say, absolutely, but check your alienation clause. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, it no. prevents us from coming in. Because no subletting apart or? Because it changes the use. It puts yeah. more pressure on the M&E, even though you can reconfigure and put some CapEx into that, but the landlord just doesn't want to be bothered with it. I think the landlords, and I appreciate this a bit of a sweeping generalization, but at times, depending on the nature of it, I'd like to think the landlords would be open to that conversation and that pragmatism. Because ultimately, if you've got the the dull layer to it in terms of you've got the tenant sat and then presumably you're coming in as an under lessee or whatever, you've got that two two levels to it. If you can get yourself comfortable around it, why not? I think it's for the benefit of the building. It's got the occupational space. And the other point, picking up on what you said, obviously significant space needs to be taken. But other clients and, and people I talk to and I spend in part because of what I do in the projects coming forward, I spend a lot of time going around and looking at offices and office space and new ones that have come through, working a lot with building surveyors and seeing the different collabs and different ways of doing stuff. And it's just sort of all, I guess I'm just marking it all in my brain and thinking, well, yeah, that's great. I like that, all those sort of things. And some of those things will be cost prohibitive, but looking at those options. So where I was kind of going with there on a long shaggy dog story was it's that ability sometimes when you've got too much space, what does it look like? Because we've not kind of acknowledged or talked yet on this, this chat that, post-pandemic, the workplace has changed and what people need and the demands of a workplace have changed. So there are way more collaboration spaces. I'm going to, an English comedian, but the Dom Jolly approach, everybody's come back. Well, not everybody's come back from working from home, but people come back and they sit in an open plan office and have a team or Zooms call and they think they're in their study or kitchen table at home and they're really, really loud. And you've got to accommodate for that within an open plan workspace and how that looks. And also, where we work, and, and I think the important thing to present in terms of why a lot of us are in is we work really collaboratively, not just within our teams, but within the wider team. And we really focus on that client delivery piece and linking up and, and how we can interact and get things done from our client, how we can get introductions done from our client. So collaborative space is really, really important. And, and it's fair to say within our current footprint, we could do better at collaborative space. So certainly going forward and in conversations I have with clients on the advisory piece, they're really looking at what that collaborative space looks like. Now, multifunctional collaborative space, whether that collaborative space is within your own workplace or whether if you've taken an office place where you've got a flex option or something, you interact and you use those services that are there that are designed for that purpose that you might not need to use day to day so you can pick and choose and, and add on. I think that's it just creates, it's great to have options. Absolutely. And I go back to an episode I did with, with Dave Cairns many seasons ago now, and he had this dream scenario in my dreams of, of a big occupier, big customer coming in, doing a deal with a landlord to take some space. They know they're going to grow into the space, but they don't need all of it right now. So they wanted that option to grow into it. And so the conversation was had about bringing in a third party operator to operate that option space. So it's monetized for the landlord, but not cost the occupier. It's operated as a, as a flex space effectively. And then when the option happens, it, they take the space when they need to. I, I'm intrigued on that. How many times has that option been triggered versus those people realizing that actually having that flex space and everything and that cut out and the variety and the different options, they thought this works well as a bit of a hybrid. I mean, there's case in point, the Deloitte deal up in, in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they went into that flex space, didn't they? And uh, it wasn't for them. You know, they, they've gone back more into traditional office space. So I think it's interesting to see how this plays out. Going back to the companies that have too much space today, I imagine if they front-loaded this conversation about having these options when they signed their lease, they wouldn't be with too much space today. Yeah, hindsight's always a wonderful thing, isn't it? 
But I guess this is what you're dealing with right now, trying to figure out how to work your own future plans, but then also giving you the insight how to help your clients as well. True. And, you know, as we sit here today, Caleb, I, I don't think much as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I've got to bear that in mind as well as a bit of a warning tone. So I can see what the trends are now. I can see what the options are on those things. But who's to say over our lease term dates in the next few years, I'd like to think we make the right decisions. But if you rewound back and those term dates were, say, five years ago, pre-pandemic and all of the shift change in the working environment and different things like that, you wouldn't have had a crystal ball uh, and you wouldn't have been able to see those things. So, you know, you've always got to evolve. This is why I'm bullish on Flex. Flex enables you to be agile when it comes to these crystal ball moments. I get that. I think the other thing, I suppose, is to bear in mind what you do when you do your fit out. So if you're a tenant and you're doing a cap B fit out and I've project managed a number of these as well. So not just choosing the office space and working on it, but just that project management and delivery and the timing of it and the cost of it and everything is working within as we way more are within the professional services and open plan environment. You could be not lavish, but you could really go on your cap B and that fit out and your cap X and all that sort of side of it. Or you can say, okay, do you know what? I'm going to do certain areas which are, there, done, deliverable of what I need, but I've got that ability and I've got that boldness to recognize in future that during my lease term, I might need to change what I use that space for and upend and change it. Case in point in our existing traditional building at One Byram, you know, which is over. It's worth noting that's, that's seven floors and each floor plate's about 4,000 square foot. Whereas in our newer space in Manchester, we took 16,000 square foot and then another 5,000 square foot. So that's fully open plan, way more collaborative, more departments. So Going back to the traditional space, it started because that was the traditional thing in legal services of cellular offices around that sort of side. And we've got that ability to knock out and move and, and roll with the times. And I think you've got to have that. I know you, you mentioned it about flexes in flex space, but you've got to ha have that ability and that boldness, dare I say, it, to look at flexible options within your own space. Good advice. Good advice. I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. Okay. Not the, not the typical quick fire questions of the early seasons. Right, right, right. Um, but on, on these topics here, so ESG, going back to this, moving into the flight to quality, are you expecting landlords to fund all of the retrofit items that are needed? Are you willing to pay for it? And how would you see that being structured? Am I expecting it'd be great as a tenant if the landlord did? I'm a realist and they're not going to, so there's got to be a middle ground there. I think it depends on the nature and structure of that building, the age of that building and what's needed as to, to how it comes about. That's a lawyer answer right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Since we're talking ESG again, let's pop over to Adam Gadiali, Delta Q's UK director. Adam, the Workbold audience is made up of office real estate professionals spanning 50 countries. Tell us a little bit about your international expansion plans for Delta Q and why that's important for office buildings. Reducing energy consumption is a major challenge for real estate organizations, especially since the sector is responsible for nearly 30% of the European Union's carbon emissions. Delta Q is a purpose-driven organization and we partner with the largest real estate companies in the world to fight climate change and to help our customers towards net zero carbon with our triple strategy. This is what we like to call Map Plan Act. Thank you, Adam. More on Delta Q's triple strategy later in the show. Next question is, as you look at your lease events coming up and... I'm going to make an assumption you're going to leave your existing footprint behind and go somewhere else. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but would you expect to go into a footprint that is going to shrink because you have flex in the building 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, short answer to that. Yes, a footprint will shrink, but I think that's more by natural selection and that part of where we are at the moment, we are on an FRI lease in the whole building, so with the sole tenant. So within that, you've got the core, you've got your kitchens, you've got all of that space that naturally when you put that on a, you know, a single or a double floor plate, you don't need all of those things. So it will shrink by nature in terms of that regard. And as well as part of the workplace, you know, what's needed, as I said, culture today is everybody's got their own office at their own desk. Everybody has their own desk. So going- just to clarify, not their own office, their own desk. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We could go back, <laughs> go back a lot. Everybody's got their own desk, save for two departments where we're trialing that currently and seeing how that works. So whether that will evolve, I think realistically in the nature of how departments work, that will work for some, but not others. So short answer to your question. Yes. Shrinkage. Okay. Next question. And feel free to expand on this or make it short. In your client work, when you're representing landlords, how has the conversation changed? I'm going to pick up on the ESG point, I suppose. It's more if you're acting on the landlord side, it's what does that green lease look for? What what are the provisions? What are the demands of the tenant? And landlord, not just in your, you mentioned it as flight of quality. So is the landlord and, and advice on those things, it's standing out from the competition and being able to make a space that's available and also work for the tenant. So JMW does, does marketing then as well? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to e- equal question, but you know, back to, to the tenants or to office customers that you're representing, what advice are you giving them or what sort of new conversations are you having? So one, it's an old conversation, but it's got a new tone to it. Whenever you're looking at new space, you're probably already in existing space. And so you've got to have in mind your dilapidations and yielding up and what that position is. Some people are in a situation, particularly with what's coming in with terms of the change with EPCs and that rating for some of the older, more tired stock and moreover, the position going forward in terms of delivery and ESG, who's going to pay come the dilapidations point in terms of some of those things. My wife's an asset manager, actually, and they have a phrase called RTFL. The F's not a particularly polite word, but effectively it means read the lease because the lease is the contractual agreement between the parties and that dictates what the position is. Yes, there's case law. Yes, there's statute, but that's the contract between the parties and will set out what needs to happen at yielding up and what the position is. I want to come back to the flexibility topic for a moment. Yep. I was, I was halfway expecting your answer to be that you're seeing more flexibility requested or options based on that earlier conversation. So when a customer is looking to embed that at the front end of their lease, are you advising them to find a building that's already got flex in it? Are you asking for more clauses in their lease? Flexibility can be achieved in a number of terms. It's fair to say now as we enter into and on the client advisory side of the occupier, a lease term is shorter. So that in by its very nature gives you flexibility. But as to flexibility of space, yeah, you know, look at and and at this is more an agent side, but, you know, it depends on the relationship you've got with the client. The question you'd be saying to them is, you know, have you narrowed down and you're happy with your options? Is this going to give you what you need? Because you're about to commit to a contract at least for a period of time. And are you comfortable with all the shift changes and everything that's happening that that will move on? Now, in fairness, some might say that's not really the lawyer's job to advise on that. You know, that's an agent. That's an advisory piece in terms of that side of it. Our job is to act on the legal documentation and deliver and facilitate the transaction, which is what we do. But I think you've got to be bold enough at times when you've got that client relationship to have those conversations and that understanding. And some will have more of a hand-holding exercise and in the appropriate way to have those conversations. And and like I said, from my piece, having seen the other side of it and delivered on it, I've got that empathy and understanding of those things. At the end of the day, I'm a transactional lawyer. So I would always signpost to the appropriate people who can advise on flex space, who can advise on those terms and those things. So I'm not going to 
just to be clear, I'm not going to be telling them what they should be paying rent-wise. I'm not going to be telling them what their best term is. But they, those questions and those decisions, and you'll have the greener tenants that come to you or ones that haven't really had a lease term for such a period of time. And with the shift change that has happened in offices in the last few years, as we've all seen, you know, with big occupiers in the flex space come in, different models and all those things in shift, traditional space changing, that flight to quality in ESG. It's a real minefield. Well, it is indeed. A lot of change is happening, a lot of change. And I think that creates lots of friction, creates a lot of problems, but massive opportunities. Indeed, yeah. Last question for you. What sort of conversations are you having at MIPM? Conversations varied. So as we sit today, it's a budget day. So it's been what's coming up in the budget and what will lead into the budget. Discussions on varied points. I've been intrigued to go around the Propel and see what's there in terms of innovation coming through and that side of it. And then we, as JMW, try to be really interactive with our clients. So we have a number of events. One of them is sort of networking and connecting people. I think that's really, really important. And this will be the second year where I've hosted a round table on the last day of Mippin on the Thursday. And that's really a sort of roundup. And it's linked to something that, Caleb, delighted I've had you on a few times to my sort of monthly roundtable on that side and that's discussing the real the wider real estate market and it's really informative so that tomorrow will be a conversation a little bit of what's happened in the budget but moreover what came out of mipin did people get what they expected from it mipin's a fundamentally different animal post-pandemic a bit more dressed down to an extent a bit more relaxed but importantly at its heart you've got circa 30,000 people coming here and wanting to do business and wanting to have open conversations so the most important thing of mipin some people who don't come, don't understand is you can actually go up and have those important conversations with decision makers and just strike up those discussions. And I urge people to do it, you know, in this environment where the R word of recession and different things get mentioned and challenges in different ways. If you don't have conversations and you don't affect introductions to people, business will never happen. So it's got to be being bold, if I can use your word, and, and, and being on the front foot. I think I counted you say bold about five times in this podcast. So it's cut some out. No, you you win. I'm keeping them all in. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, really appreciate you taking the time, Thomas. It's been fantastic and insightful. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it as well. So we'll put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn, Twitter. Yep, Twitter as well. All right, we'll get him on Twitter and a link to your website for JMW fantastic. as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you again, and for everyone tuning in today. Until next time, take care of yourself. Before we close this episode out, a final update from Adam Gadiali on Delta Q's triple strategy. As I mentioned earlier, everything we do needs to help the commercial real estate sector drastically reduce its carbon emissions. That's our purpose. We start with connecting building portfolios with our AI solution and commit ourselves to clear results, which include CO2 and energy reduction, operational efficiency and comfort optimization. Firstly, in order to reduce the building's energy consumption, we deploy our technology across building portfolios. We do this by mapping the building through a digital diagnosis or creating a digital twin of the building. This also includes precise local weather forecast and occupancy data. Secondly, through planning, which is where we conduct a physical diagnosis of the building with our HVAC and BMS specialists to ensure that the availability of data is as closely aligned with reality. From there, we identify building and system anomalies, build a roadmap towards savings and advise on the carbon return of retrofit investments. Thirdly, by taking action. This is where we take both digital and physical data and automate repetitive savings through our AI steering of the HVAC systems. That's our triple strategy. There you go. 
What an important purpose. Be sure to visit DeltaQ.io to learn more and listen to episode eight this season where I got to sit down with Delta Q's CEO, Khadija Nadia at MIPM for a deeper dive into their purpose of helping the real estate sector on the road to zero. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.